five yeah five thousand drivers the drivers for a few months like from these are October to February. massive generational issues which they're trying to you know fix with you know two month policy options. But remember, I think they I just don't about have the range. about having just short term work visas. I think we were talking about that in in response to the um, refugee and immigration crisis in America again here. Welcome to the Not Bane podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. This week, we have no PMQs. We also have no PMQs next week and the week after because it is what every political junkie looks forward to every year. It is conference season. So all of the major political parties have their, well, all of the parties, but we don't pay attention to the minor leagues. The the party conference season has begun. Parties are having their four-day fiestas at various towns and cities across the country. It's the first time and the only time of the year that the politicians leave London for somewhere that's a bit more civilised. Well, at least the Tory party there in Manchester this week, so definitely more civilised. However, we will be reviewing last week's conference which was Labour. Labour kicked off this week this year's conference season in Brighton. Uh lovely images and videos of Keir Starmer. Anyway and... I'm gonna cut in because you're waxing lyrical and it's getting on my nerves. <laughs> that was rude. Your usual uh enthusiasm just oh it's so infectious. Anyway wow yes, you were going on <laughs> anyway what was I saying? Yeah so Labour conference you know, first of all, I don't know why I'm covering this because, as I've said many times, that's not my party. Because you do a politics podcast. That's why you're covering it. Be quiet. I'm talking if you don't mind. Um, let's start. Let's start with Keir Summer's 90 minute speech, shall we? 90 or 19? Nine zero. Nine zero. Obviously, there was like, you know, in stops in between and claps and all the rest of it. There was a bit of heckling going on, which we'll come to in a second. But it was long, just like his um, essay on his vision for the Labour Party and for the country was also long. You know, I think let's, that's, let's start there. Nobody want to hear anyone talk for 90 minutes, let alone Keir Starmer. Like, self-censor, someone needs to be editing him. But he basically was setting out his um, view for the party, what he, what his aims for the party were. And he basically said, you know, the pledges that he started with, the pledges that he um, made when he ran for leader of the party, they're no longer relevant. He will no longer be, um, he will no longer be sticking to the pledges that he's made. He's got new pledges that he'll be sticking to. And we should believe that he'll be sticking to those pledges and not the pledges that he's made before because those pledges don't count. Interesting choice to make as a leader of a party in a time where politicians are extremely seen as extremely untrustworthy but you know that's neither here nor there um he talked about wanting to introduce a tax on private schools and them losing their charitable status he talked about you know women's safety and talked about how women feeling unsafe outside and talked about you know bringing in more police there was the starting up of the Labour Friends of Police group. He talked about um, inequality and how he wanted to fight inequality. There wasn't, you know, the the exact 
framework of that I'm not so sure about, but he did talk about how he wanted to end inequality. He wanted to talk about inequality on a variety of, of spectrums, economic inequality, racial inequality, gender inequality, et cetera, how all of those things were important to him and he wanted to counteract them. And that's the vision for this new labor, but also, you know, that they're not, I think it was quite clear that he was trying to set out a differentiation between the Labour Party of the past four or five years and the Labour Party of the last year and a half is that, you know, we're not like them. We don't ascribe to their values, subscribe to their values. You know, I'm basically, I'm not Jeremy Corbyn. I'm not anything like Jeremy Corbyn. I don't rate any of Jeremy Corbyn's friends. You know, we're, we're new, we're the old, we're the new, new Labour, you know, with the same sort of similar frameworks for you know, people like Mandelson behind him, Rachel Reeves, those sort of people. So it's, it will be interesting to see if this makes a difference. So far, I don't think there has been any sort of bump in the polls based on Labour's vision, but, you know, we'll give it time. Well, he clearly thinks there'll be a bump in the polls because, uh, you know, he's starting from zero, the last loss. So he's trying to, you know, he's trying to say, look, we lost the last election. We lost the last two elections. Hell, we lost, we lost the last three. But guess what, guys? There's a new, new man in charge. And next time we're going to win because we're different to the last guy. I mean, it makes sense, you know, on the face of it. Don't you think? Of course it makes sense. I don't think, every, I think every leader wants to sort of say, well, I'm not like the other person. This is how I'm different. And, but I think it's interesting to say when you're running as a leader of a party and you ran on a platform to then say to all your members, actually, what you, what you, decide, what you voted me in on, why you, why you made me leader of the party, those pledges that I made, I don't believe in sticking to them, but then also say, but these new pledges that I've made, you should believe that I'll stick to these. So if if pledges don't mean anything, then why do we, why are we making them at all? What is the point of making them? Don't make any pledges at all, because you're basically saying that they hold value as long as you've decided they hold value until they no longer serve your purposes. Then they're no, so, that, so you making promises about anything, about pledges, about policy means nothing at this point, which is, I don't, which is fine because it's okay to be like, look, I'll pivot, things will change depending on the circumstances. Then don't make pledges. Say, you know, we react, we will be reacting in the moment to things as and when they come. But don't make a pledge because you're, if you've made it quite clear that that's not something that you hold dear or that you're intending to stick by. Well, he had to win. He had to win the leadership election. And here comes our modern day masterful Machiavelli, the Lord, the dark Lord himself, Peter Mandelson. <clears throat> now, is your arm in the air? <laughs> Because why are you I'm so reading. excited? <laughs> because I, I also spotted my Machiavelli book at the same time as saying that and making that <laughs> comment. Anyway, you interrupted my wonderful alliteration. However, the point is, what he's done is actually, I mean, okay, not morally, but you know, politically, very mm -hmm. clever. Mm -hmm. So he came in. You had to, you had and have two wings of Labour. <clears throat> You've got the Corbynistas your fellow commies and you've got you know standard establishment new labor types all right he had to get all of them on side he already had the establishment types on side because obviously they saw him as sort of one of them but he needed to also he was it was a tight field there was like how many people were running for labor leadership last year there were loads of people so he had to get both wings on side so he's naturally already got those types but he had to get the, the Corbynistas he had to get at least a bit of the the left on so we could get get the so we could win so we could get the numbers to win so he came in and said hey look listen 
Jeremy, nice guy. We disagree a little bit, but hey, I'm going to still keep some of his policies, guys. You can still vote for me. And then, bam, when he's back in office, he can do what he wants. And that's what he's doing now. I agree. He absolutely can do what he wants. And I think the uh, this current approach to I'm in office, I can do what I want, fall in line or leave is very interesting compared to what, how, you know, the uh, second referendum lot were behaving when it was the shoe was on the other foot. But, you know, everybody's, it's how a, you hypo- win. everybody's a hypocrite. But, of course it's how you win. And I think a lot of people actually said at the time when Jeremy was in power was like, why are you trying to placate people who do not agree with your vision? Tell mm-hmm. them either get on board or shut right, up. And I think right. that a lot of people do say that that was one of the issues that we you kept a lot of people in positions of power mm-hmm. within the party who did not agree with your vision and they were able to bring it down from the outside. So, but I do think, I think, so I think it's an interesting choice to make. I don't know if I agree or disagree with it, but I think, again, that's, that depends on where your how your politics and your morality align in specific circumstances, which I think is why Jeremy Corbyn was faced with so many problems it's because where his policy, his politics and morality align, and he though he's quite steadfast in that. Is if your your politics and your morality can be moved in certain ways, then you're able to make the certain decisions that are quite difficult, but that will probably be largely more beneficial to you in the long run. Run in terms of winning rather than being right. And sometimes it's not always about being right; it's about winning and then being right. So you I, cannot I be agree. you cannot be a modern day political party leader and be a nice guy. Didn't yeah, work for Jeremy sure. Corden. Didn't work. Didn't work for Tim Farron. Didn't work for any of those guys. That's why they're not here anymore. That's why nobody knows them. That's why I they didn't do anything. I absolutely agree. Right. So the thing is, I think what? I think if you want to be, I think if you want to be the leader of a party and ultimately win elections, you can't, you know, you might you might want to be nice and you might want to, you know, show a vision of caring and all the best of it. But realistically, that doesn't work. Just yeah, I, be think, I think I think we've something. seen. We've I think we've seen that you know caring and morality and all those things are not enough to win elections. That's not important. That's not. Nah, that's what. That's what. That's not what's important to win elections. It nah, doesn't work. I don't think nah, it doesn't work. Yeah, you know, you're conflating different things and you're making them all the same thing. You're conflating. When I say when I when I say you're 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 taking my nice guy and then saying oh well you have to be some you know evil bastard. That's not I what I'm saying. I didn't what, say that. I didn't say you have to be. You said no morality. That was. I didn't say no morality. No I, said, I didn't say no morality. I said. I you said, said you said, said you can't having no morals. I didn't say having no morals. I said if you are leading with morality and all the niceness, you don't you can't be moral and nice and win elections. You can't. Because it requires being underhanded. Exactly. So exactly. So, so, no, 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 no. so, so if you're, you if can you be moral, be, you can be you, moral and underhanded. You can be moral, no, moral and ruthless. Here's the thing. The, the problem is the problem, and this is just the problem of the left. I, I need to write, I think I might write my dissertation on this. Um it's the sure. problem of it's the problem. Well, I'm, I've just started my politics module for my course this week. Ooh, got some reading to do. Anyway, the the problem of the the problem of your 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 the problem of the left is you just there's, there's no there's no streak of ruthlessness, right? Same problem in America. Same problem here. Just trying to, like you said, placate and pacify. No, do what the right does. Cut off. This is what we're doing. If you don't like it, get out. End of. I agree. Absolutely. But you can still do, you can still be, you can be ruthless and still have a level of morality to your ruthlessness. To be ruthless doesn't mean you have to have no morals, but you can't be a nice guy. But I think if you don't allow, um, what's the word, a diversity of thought, if you don't allow people to um, come up against you or to, to, you know, 
rebut your arguments and then maybe that isn't that is lacking in the morality in some sense because you can believe you're right but if you don't allow people to argue with you to maybe yeah, show this you isn't the position. godfather keep your friends close but your enemies closer no throw your enemies out <laughs> that's the moon of the sea okay good, good, good. you know what i i don't disagree i do think there was a ruthlessness that just wasn't there unfortunately so moving on swiftly to Another drama gripping the British nation this week. Isn't it moving swiftly on? You said moving on swiftly. It's moving swiftly on, right? Mm. Sorry, go ahead. Just say The direction of movement is the same. Forward, no? In a swift manner. Anywho, as I was saying, the petrol crisis. The current United Kingdom is in the grips of a not fuel shortage as Conservative MPs have been at pains to point out to us online, on the news, in the newspapers. Yeah, but they're right. And there isn't a fuel shortage. There is, in fact, not well, a fuel shortage. There, there wasn't not, a fuel shortage. There is not a fuel shortage, they would like us to know. There is, in fact, a driver shortage. So if everybody could not panic and not buy petrol that they don't need, then we will all be absolutely fine, bearing in mind no petrol can make its way down to you. So there is, in fact, a petrol shortage. If the petrol can't reach where I am, the petrol is short. And the reason that the petrol is short is because there's no drivers, but the petrol station by me don't have any fuel. So there's a petrol, there's a petrol shortage over my side of town, I'll tell you that much for free. It, um, I did manage to get petrol. It was a palaver, but I did manage for 45 minutes. The, all the roads leading to and from petrol stations in my area are an absolute madness, and they were still an absolute madness today. Whenever a petrol station has petrol, there's queues. I'm sure everyone's seen it now. You've seen it on the news. If you go outside, you've encountered a long line of cars for no reason, going back half a mile, if not a mile, wondering what's going on. Um, today, it was announced that by Monday, the army, 100 army drivers will be delivering petrol around the country. And from October to February, we'll be allowing in 4,700 um, food hall drivers to be moving food around the country as well, because there's obviously a shortage of food and food and fuel drivers. That was a difficult one. And there's new immigration rules, which have, will allow 300 immediate drivers to come in from Monday to be moving fuel around the country. So hopefully this will be sorted. Well, it's the annual X, do X in Y time to save Christmas. Why are we always saving Christmas? <laughs> Everything is something, like it's Christmas dramatic. is in peril. Like Christmas is in peril. Like we're about to, re, you know, we're, we're about to rewind 2000 years of history and, and Jesus isn't going to be born and there's going to be no Christmas. Oh, we've got to get the drivers in to save Christmas. I mean, for well, crying they out They were talking loud. about, they were talking to Pigs a turkey farmer. Black. Like, oh no, what are we going to do? There's not enough turkeys. There's no one to pluck the turkeys. Get uh grip right okay. <laughs> i mean like yes okay cool yeah got sympathy for the farmers obviously you know caveat it's you know big like their livelihood that aside yeah. what was so interesting actually as well was Susanna was like to him um have you offered to pay them more and he was like, I would, I would dearly love to pay them, but nobody's applying. And it's like, that's not, that didn't answer the question. <laughs> Have you offered to pay them more than the pittance you were paying the people that were there doing the job before? Because he's like, young people don't want to work. If you offer the young person £10 to £15 an hour to pluck turkeys for this, a short season, maybe they'd come. But you're not even, I'm sure you're you? not even offering them 10, 10, 10 quid, but you're not. You want to pay them 6p and for them to do back-breaking labour work. 
I mean, I wonder why you please. can't get anyone to do it. Come on. Don't exaggerate. It's not 1861. Nobody's getting paid 6p, and I'm sure plucking, <laughs> and plucking feather, fe- take turkey feathers is not backbreaking work. So However, why are you plucking point, turkey feathers then? Because I have other things to do with my time, mm-hmm. and I live in a city. Anyway, um, so yes, so yes, of course, we've got the fuel issue and this supposed food issue. You know, um, we're not going to have our pigs in blankets. Well, guess what, everybody, make your own bloody pigs in blankets. I learned how to make mine, so I'll be fine this year. I will not have to be worrying about whether there are pigs in blankets in Marks and Spencer's on December the 23rd. Of course there'll be pigs in blankets in Marks and Spencer's. Which well, is just a thing, isn't it? Be? So, because that's I'm pretty, another... sure, I'm sure, pretty sure Marks and Spencer don't get their pigs in blankets from here. Of course, Marks and Spencer's British food, British farms. But the point, the point is, no. the point is, the point is, I think it's just constant, we're always being whipped up well, not me, not me whipped up, lest I fall into the same trap as all these people who are always talking about the media. The media, they blame everything on the media. But really, it's constantly, every year, there's, a, there's something, there's this biggest... I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, okay, yeah, we have just come through a, a big crisis, you know, a massive pandemic. But what are we going to do, like, if there's a big war next week? Like, how will we cope? Because look what people are doing at petrol stations. People are fighting at petrol stations because their diesel, as does run out, and because they don't want to go down to Esso down the road or check out Texaco further down the road. To that's, not that's not, that's not no, true. That's not true. No, no, no. Because but... all those other ones are empty or closed. That's why there's queues. Okay, so yes. I mean, Come on. Like, that's not why. No, 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 no. So no but I pe- waited to fill up my car until I was on no, but what I'm two saying bars is... left. But you need petrol. If people need petrol. No, I'm not saying people going. don't need petrol. I'm talking about the sort of panic behavior. And, 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 and a lot of the people. Nobody wants to be are... without petrol. No, but a lot of the people who are buying, who a lot of people who are, who are going and filling up their cars are not driving like that. Okay. These are people who never fill their petrol their car they, they have they, they they get through two weeks on half a tank yet tomorrow yet today they need to be going and fighting somebody to fill up fill up fill up their tank it's just ridiculous part of well, the problem I suppose is, it's the problem because is they don't want it have... to get to when they usually need to fill up and not be able to get any petrol it's like so I, I filled up my car because I didn't know when I was next going to get petrol and it's a good thing I did because I've not been there all the petrol stations have been out of fuel in my area since I filled up look at the bottom of this is just it, again, it's. I feel we've been talking about this since we started this podcast. It's again just reveals more central government incompetence. Okay, because there there are there are a number of factors as to why we are short on drivers. It's there's there's a European problem. Yeah. Um, there, I don't think you it's know, just that. There's, there's, a, supply, there's a world there's a problem. Supply, there's a COVID yeah. problem. There's also a Brexit problem as well. Um, I think and, it's actually and, and, important to point out, sorry, just quickly, that there is actually a global supply chain issue. Like we're not the only country without without going without drivers at the moment, struggling to make to meet the demand that is needed. That we have lost a lot of drivers across the world and the country. So it's not just yes, uh, yes, yes. You but, know, I'm not being out here caping for Boris, but there's a, there is a wider issue. There is a wider issue, but at the moment they say we're like a hundred thousand HGV drivers short in the UK. Okay, so you can yes, you can turn around and say, well, other countries are are, are short of drivers too. But let's look at Europe. Europe in in total is short of about five hundred thousand HGV drivers. So that means one country, us, accounts for twenty percent. Mm-hmm. We don't account for twenty percent of the population of Europe. It's much less than that. So it's all well and good and true to say that there is a European problem, a global problem, but we're still we're still punching above what we should be punching. So we clearly have a problem that's worse than a lot of other places. So the question is why? And, and why are we so, why are we doing so badly uh, compared to other places? Um, and you just, sorry, but you got to point a finger at government, you got to point a finger. There's also an issue with, there's also the internal um, disputes that you've got a lot of, because a lot of, a lot of these early briefings about short 
about there being short drivers came from um, haulage industries, like the like the industry industry bodies who have their own problems with government. So they leaked information out, which again then in turn started people panicking in some part for no reason. So there's all I'm saying is there's just not one. There's not one. There's not one reason. And I think people tend to, people just always tend to focus on one thing, whatever their political cause of the day is, if they're anti-Brexit, they'll blame it on Brexit. If they're scamdemic pandemic deniers, they'll co- focus on COVID. If they just hate the government, they'll focus on government incompetence. It's all of it. But I think government incompetence is a large part of it because I these are all unfair. problems which we've had. That's an unfair assessment to make because I, I don't, I don't particularly um, rate this government at all but I'm quite here saying that I don't think this is just government incompetence no but the thing is there are certain things which you can't you can't plan for and you can't Absolutely. um but then there are certain things you can plan for so Brexit was five five and a half years ago okay God, we've had six, exactly 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 five and a half years ago and look at all of the delays there were the delays for this treaty delays for disagreement oh we've got a 12 month extension oh we've too got much time month having extension. In, too much time having in general what were these loves? people doing what were they doing? doing? They saw these problems coming. They saw all of these problems coming. Why were they not? Pl- what? But and again, part well, of they, it is they're telling everyone to retrain in cyber. But the the problem is, is as well that HDG driving is not an attractive industry. And then when you talk to HDG drivers and you understand that the amount of um, personal responsibility that they have to take on, the amount of cost that it, be- it becomes, and you know the unsociable and unfriendly um, work environment, you can understand why they're not able to keep drivers. And again. The whole point of Brexit was, you know, to stop the depression of wages, which means there should be increase the wages, increase the um, quality of work-life balance, increase the regu- whatever regulations that need to be put in place to make it more of an attractive industry for people to work in, in terms of, you know, proper clean and maintain stops along the way for people doing the driving, support when they arrive, like, you know, just a, in general, a much more airtight and standardized logistical framework for HDG drivers across the country that would be helpful but again if we were it's supposed to be about rising wages let the wages rise and if it means that there's a shortfall until <laughs> no until the but until, unless let if the the, wages wait, rise. No, but listen maybe there needs to be a shortfall until that's what happens and then what happens is maybe there's uh, there's less drivers but there's there's a better framework and, um, and wages arise, and some, you know, some businesses maybe might not be able to survive the wage rise. <laughs> Listen to you sounding like your almost almost invisible hand of the market. <laughs> but, but this, this, I'm being realistic with this. If with this, that's what we're trying. That's what the point of Brexit yeah. was. We're supposed to allow the invisible hand of the, the market to affect our economy and increase increase the the rise of wages to meet the cost of living and screw so people's lives in the meantime. What do you mean screw people's lives in the meantime? Well, I mean, well, that's, that's what... That's what they said. They said, oh, well, we're willing to take a little bit of hardship if in the long run we get, you know, higher wages and a better standard of living. Well, then here we go. I can't believe I'm the one here now arguing for more government intervention and you're the one propping up the invisible hand in the market. We have gone a complete 180. I think that's <laughs> a good point at which to end this section. Home Secretary Pretty Patel said, The UK has a proud history of being open to the world and global Britain will continue in that tradition, but we must clamp down on the criminals that seek to enter our country illegally using forged documents. Of course, 
Ah Pretty was referring to the new policy as of Friday, the 1st of October. Uh, the government and well, the UK are no longer, UK is no longer accepting EU, EEA and Swiss citizens from using their national ID cards as a, a valid travel document. So basically everybody's got to have a passport. Um, this is all part of uh, a wider system of trying to clamp down on, you know, forged documents and illegal migrants and, and all that sort of thing. And then criminal gangs, as Pretty calls them, from entering the UK unlawfully. Um, I mean, the, 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 there was a point, one of the, one of the arguments for this was that half of all of the, half of all of the forged documents that Border Force detected last year were from EU, EEA and Swiss ID cards. I mean, the next question surely should be, okay, well, what proportion of the incoming tourist population, well, incoming numbers of people are actually from those countries and you'd find it probably evens out. But anyway, I digress because obviously, you know, don't get stats get don't let stats get in the way of a good uh, <laughs> xenophobic story. <clears throat> I mean, considering we're no, I mean, not xenophobic, it might be a bit too harsh. All right, go ahead. Well, considering that the um, this is the same government who has just brought in the idea of national ID cards for the whole country in order to be able to vote, it's very confusing for them to say that they're you know not secure, not a valid form of identification, and they'll no longer be accepting them. And yet at the same time, those are gonna be the only form of identification that they're going to be allowing to for people to vote. But oh, that's but that actually only depends on how old you are, because if you're over 60, then you can use your um, over 60 card to prove as a form of identification, but- Oh, for voting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's but the thing- if you're under you, then you can't. But here's the thing, she specifically said she's talking about insecure ID cards. So it's not that they have a problem with ID cards, it's that they have a problem with insecure ID cards. So our so ID cards ID won't be insecure. Se- so what, what will make, uh, so what makes ID cards more or less secure than passports? Because they contain because biometric data, they contain, the your, 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 they contain the scan of your eyes like the passports do. Mm-hmm. They have, and they have the, uh, the flashy, flashy situation that our new passports do, but the old passports didn't. No. So what is the biometric data? What's specifically about ID cards? Because all of those things that you've just said, <clears throat> some ID cards don't have them. So ID cards can be insecure because mm-hmm. they actually don't have biometric data. Now you're yeah. saying the, our new ones will, so therefore they're not insecure. But, but currently you can get into the UK with a passport that doesn't contain biometric data anyway. Yes, but I mean, but, what? who's going to turn around and say, oh, passports are no longer valid? I mean, they were the original form of travel documentation. You can't turn around and say, I mean, so ID nobody's cards are the, are the um, original form of travel documentation in Europe and have been for God knows how long. They are also more difficult to cross-reference with criminal record databases than passports. Okay. Based on what? based on the fact that they are. Um, and there are also inconsistencies. There are inconsistencies. No, so passports, obviously, I know you're saying that not all passports have, but pass, most passports do now, and most countries, if they don't have them, they are going to be having them. If you so see more some pa- of the passports from so some of these countries, you can <clears throat> stick your picture in with a bit of tape. They're much less secure than, some countries' passports are much less secure than their ID cards. Now, here's the thing. So the ID cards in Europe, so, mm-hmm. <clears throat> sorry, well, let me say, let me be specific, the EU. So. Mm-hmm they are bringing in new ID cards that they're, they're sort of systematizing, standardizing their security standards over the next few years. However, that's not going to, that's the current ones are still going to be in circulation for sort of another five to 10 years. 
Okay. So the, 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 the point they're making is, look, yes, you guys might be making your security better in 10 years' time, but between now and 2031, hey, we need to be careful about who we're letting in. So everybody has to have a passport. That's what they say. I mean, clearly, <clears throat> I mean, some of this does make sense on the face of it, but clearly a lot of it is to also stop. Um, Especially the, also the, without the, giving a warning. It's essentially happening. It's been announced and it's going to be happening in the space of a week or so. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just look at the elephant in the let's you know consider the elephant in the room. Clearly, a lot of this this is also to stop uh, to try and clamp down on the numbers of migrants who are coming across the channel in boats mm-hmm. because clearly most of those people because of the situations that they find themselves in are probably not people who have passports. Mm-hmm. Um, however, exactly. they might have they might have the they might probably will have other other forms of ID cards. If you're coming over as an illegal crossing, whether you've got a passport or an ID card, a passport or an ID card. It's basically pointless anyway because you're not coming No, but through... I think the point is if you're stopped at some point and you show somebody your ID, maybe not whilst you're in a dinghy in the middle of the channel because then, yeah, it's probably clearly obvious. That, exactly. Yeah. But if you're stopped at some other point, it's probably it's probably easier for you to maybe blend, for you to blend in by presenting an ID card if you okay. don't have a passport. Whereas now the rule is, okay, well, you have to have passports. It's going to make that a lot more difficult. So I'm, I'm sure that that's part of it because you know that is what <clears throat> that is a, a big thing for Pretty Patel. It seems like it's always been a big thing for her. and it is an issue. I mean, no matter how you look at it, it's an mm-hmm. issue. Um, well, fake ID cards is a you think no. I mean, I mean the, the 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 migrant crossings across the channel. I'm not. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Of course. That's what I'm saying. But I don't know if this is a solve. No, no. I mean, it's not. Again, and that it's isn't like the only said, reason for like it. That's said, not the only reason. Let's on be gaping clear. wounds again. Well, that's this. I think. I think if we're being honest, I think. I think that's most sure, sure. I you can you know you can present an argument for ID cards. I just don't think it's even in terms of what the the Home Office and Home Secretary has going on at the moment. I just don't think it's not even a top ten issue, really, is it? Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N O T B A M E Pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us NotBamePod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.